0: Welcome to this third and final episode of the week. Uh, This episode will cover just 3rd Nephi chapter 11. There is enough here to unpack that I wanted to just focus on it. Even if the episode isn't very long, I think 3rd Nephi chapter 11 deserved its own specific episode to focus exclusively on it. Uh, As mentioned previously in the introduction uh, episode of this week, 3rd Nephi chapter 11 is the beginning of the crowning event in the Book of Mormon. Um, I say the beginning because really the crowning event is Christ's appearance and ministry to the people in the Nephites, uh, in the Nephite r- realm, uh, which is really from Third Nephi eleven through Third uh, Nephi chapter twenty eight. But it's the beginning. It's when Christ descends, um, and I this this chapter is so critical in the Book of Mormon and it's really the I think the focal point. as mentioned you know really chapter 11 through 28 is is pivotal um, and I mentioned in the last episode that the, the time kind of stands still during these chapters. There's no real narrative like there is in the rest of the Book of Mormon that kind of carries you from one event to the next event and I think that's on purpose. And so really that, that entire thing is, is the crowning event. But when I say that this chapter, chapter 11 is so pivotal, I say that because it is what we say happened in the book of Mormon. It's that it's that Christ came to the Americas and showed himself to the people here. It is the reason that they have this, uh, special witness of Christ, um, I think of my mission and how often, how many times we would meet people and we would invite them to read the Book of Mormon. And the first chapter we would often have people read is chapter 11. Uh, we would, t- either the whole chapter or specific verses from that chapter and Christ introducing himself and what he invites the people to do. But it is, this chapter is, is so full of the light of Christ that it, um, really is what radiates throughout the rest of the book. Uh, and as I mentioned in my introduction of the of this week, and in reading my uh, own personal letter that I wrote about the light and the darkness of the world that we're seeing now, and the light and the darkness of of Christ and Satan, this this event and Christ coming juxtaposed on what has just transpired in chapters eight through ten is is it's the light that I was referring to. It's the light that I felt like I was missing sometimes in my life as I looked around the world. Um, And it is just so stark and contrasting to what we've just read about the destruction and the terror and the earthquakes and the, and the whirlwinds and the mist of darkness that was, could that could be felt. And now you, you just right after that, we have Christ descending out of heaven and inviting the people to come and and he ministers to them one by one. And this chapter, uh, in many ways, is just the, the culmination of of my test my own personal testimony of the Book of Mormon. And so let's jump in here. First thing is in first in verse one, it says that the people were gathered together of the uh of the people of Nephi round about the temple, which was in the land of bountiful. And they were marveling and wondering one with another, and were showing one to another the great and marvelous change which had taken place. Now, remember, there was another temple in Zarahemla. Uh, I think, you know, King Benjamin and the temple that he gathered the people to. Um, But the thing is, that city's burned. So, here they are, just north of Zarahemla, and the land northward where uh, Bountiful is. And... What stands out to me here in this verse is that they were marveling and wondering one with another, showing one another the great and marvelous change which, which had taken place. Now, I think this is, the reason that stands out to me is this. What are they focused on? What are they talking about? They're talking about the sign that had just taken place. What sign had taken place? The sign of what? The death of Jesus Christ, the the Messiah. They're talking about Him. They're talking about the miracles and signs and wonders they had just seen. They're talking about the change that had taken place on, uh, in the land roundabout, go back to chapter eight and how much it changed. But I also think they are talking about what had changed in them, in their own hearts, in their own minds. They had been prepared. The calamity that they had seen had softened them, had prepared them for something. they didn't, at this point, they didn't know what, uh, it, reminded, it reminds me of First um, Timothy chapter four verse twelve. It says, "Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and purity." And stick with me for just a second because it's like, how do those how do those things connect? And this is how it connects in my mind. They were focused on something. They were focused on the on the new light, the new hope that they'd been given, the new lease on life they'd been given. So many people had been destroyed and had been killed they didn't give that, they didn't have this chance. But now they're focused on this. They're focused on their, on the newness, a new hope. Hashtag Star Wars. Not, didn't mean to go there, but what's up? Uh, and what, and they're focused on that and they're talking about that. They're talking about Christ. And this verse in, in Timothy says, be that an example of the believers in word and conversation and charity and spirit and faith and purity in all that we do We should be focused on Christ. In all that we do, we should be an example of the believers. And in my life, eh, the way that I I like to try to apply that, again, try. The Lord doesn't expect immediate perfection. He expects continuous progression in, in our effort. And in my effort in trying to do this, it's, what am I thinking about? What am I talking about? What jokes do I tell? What jokes do I laugh at? What conversations am I a part of? How how am I charitable to those around me? Am I caring about their well being and their and their uh, welfare? But it starts within with my mind and my thoughts and my words, and and then moves into my deeds and my in charity and in purity. Uh, and I think those types having that type of focus prepares us just like it prepared these people to receive greater light and knowledge. And so, as they're conversing, that they heard a voice as if it came out of heaven, and they cast their eyes about, and they understood not the voice. Now, it says that it was not harsh, neither was it a loud voice, nevertheless, notwithstanding. although, Also, by the way, love that, nevertheless and notwithstanding. That's three words. So many letters, guys. It's just so many letters. It being a small voice, and it did pierce them, that did hear to the center. So... It caused their, and it says, pierced them to the very soul and their hearts to burn. Boyd K. Packer said, The voice of the Spirit is described in the Scriptures as being neither loud nor harsh. It is not a voice of thunder, neither a voice of great tumultuous noise, but rather a still, small voice of perfect mildness, as if it had been a whisper. And it can pierce even to the very soul, and it caused uh, the heart to burn. Remember, Elijah found the voice of the Lord it was not in the wind, nor in the earthquake, nor in the fire, but it was a still, small voice. The Spirit does not get our attention by shouting or shaking us with a heavy hand; rather, it whispers. It caresses so gently that if we are not if we are preoccupied, we may not feel it at all. No wonder the word of wisdom was re- revealed to us. For how could the drunkard or addict feel such a voice? That sm- still, small voice that they that they felt, the voice of. The father of, of of the spirit is the same spirit that we can feel and have in our life. And it it, it talks to us in the same way. And we feel it in the same way. Satan's objective in, in life and in, in the media and in politics and in our world and just every day-to-day life is to just drown it out. That's his That's his tactic. Because he knows what it's like. He knows that it's still. He knows that it's small. He knows that it takes us being in tune that all he has to do is throw in a little bit of static, a little bit of white noise, and it can be hard or impossible to hear and feel uh, the words of of our Heavenly Father, of Jesus Christ, of the Spirit. And so he throws movies at us. He throws music with loud, um, you know, loud music with uh, irreverent lyrics. He throws... Billboards and uh, all social media and all types of just distractions at us. He throws things at us that are good so that we focus on the good at the expense of the best and we miss the message that's, that's coming to us. The voice comes again for a second time. And it came to pass again. They heard the voice and they understood it not. And again, the third time they did hear the voice and did open their ears to hear it and their eyes were towards the sound thereof and they did look steadfastly towards heaven from whence the sound came they opened their ears and by this time they had looked they had focused on something they had looked to the to the source in our life we need to look to the source and that can be literal and that can be figurative we need to where are our eyes where is our focus are we looking in the scriptures are we studying come follow me are we looking at the ensign Leahona, are we studying the words of the modern-day prophets? Are we tuning into General Conference and feasting upon their words? What is our focus in our life? Are we pondering on those things throughout the day? Is that the center of our thoughts and our and our conversations and our words and our deeds, or do we let those things get drowned out? Yes, we have other duties and responsibilities we have, and we have uh, you know obligations to employers and others. And, and you can't just be talking about repentance while you're talking to your boss. That could get you fired, obviously. But it's the kind of words that we speak. It's the way in which we speak. Are we letting our focus, and are we focused enough that that the light of Christ is uh, lighting our whole body and guiding our everything that we do? Remember, Remember Matthew chapter 5, that or Matthew chapter 6, that uh, the light of the body is the eye. Uh, If therefore thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. If we are single, if our eye is single, our body will be full of light. And light is what? Knowledge, truth, the spirit. When these people in Bountiful looked and their eye was single now to where the message was coming from, then they understood. Then and only then did they understand because they could be full of light and uh, it says, they beheld someone coming down, um, and they heard now the voice say, Behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased, in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye Him. And it is the, the basis for the message that President Nelson has been teaching us and has been focused on for the last year. Hear Him. Hear Jesus Christ. And how do we do it? How did they do it? They focused on Him. First time, they heard something. They felt it weren't quite sure what it was. The second time, didn't understand it. By the third time, they had now focused on him, and then they understood. And it was only then when he descended and he introduced himself as saying, Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And behold, what is he? Behold, I am the light and the life of the world, and I have drunk out of the bitter cup which the father hath given me and I've glorified the father in taking upon me the sins of the world in which I have suffered the will of the father in all things from the beginning and now when they heard this then they fell to the earth and now they remembered that he was going to show himself after his crucifixion they didn't remember that right so they but it was it it was something that had been taught to them and now they remember it but they had been prepared they had been softened They had been discussing, and the focus of their conversation was about the change and what was all going on. Then they focused on him, they understood him, they saw him, and they heard him. I think that's a pattern that we can try to emulate in our life. Again, literally and figuratively. In verses 14 through Uh, 16, he invites them to... Come well. He, uh, in verse thirteen, is really invite. He he invites them. He says, "Come and uh, forth unto me." It's that same invitation he gives us. Come forth unto me. Come unto me. Christ works by way of invitation. It's a pattern. It's it's a pattern of the Lord. Invitation, no coercement. But what we see is that they did all get up and go. And when they had all gone forth and had witnessed for themselves, then they did cry with one voice. Oh. So he invites them to do, and it wasn't, and this is what's another pattern. It's, he invites all, but all seems so, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Faceless, so non impersonal because he invited, he does, and he invites all and he continues to invite all, but the invitation is unique and individual to us because each of them go up one by one. To feel the marks in his hands and in his feet, and to thrust their hands into his side where he had been pierced. <laughs> this is the resurrected Lord with a resurrected perfect body, and yet he has holes in his hands and his feet, in his wrists. He has a he has a wound in his side, a gaping hole. Elder Holland said, however dim our days may seem, they have been a lot darker for the Savior of the world. As a reminder of those days, Jesus has chosen, even in resurrected, otherwise perfected perfected body, to retain for the benefit of his disciples, us, the wounds in his hands and in his feet and in his side. Signs, if you will, that that painful things happen even to the pure and perfect. Signs, if you will, that pains in this world is not evidence that, that God doesn't love you. Signs. If you will, that problems pass and happiness can be ours. Remind others that it is the wounded Christ who is the captain of our souls. He who yet bears the scars of our forgiveness, the lesions of his love and humility, the torn flesh of obedience and sacrifice. These wounds are a principal way to, for us to recognize him when he comes. He may invite us forward, as he invited others, to see and to feel those marks. If not before, then surely at the time we will remember with. Isaiah, that it was for us that God was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, and that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. He kept those for us. As a reminder to us that bad times don't last, that everlasting hope does exist. That he, as Elder Holland called him, the captain, captain of our souls, overcame all, and so too by following him can we. Uh, moving on, the next point I wanted to make is talk about is just in is in verse thirty. Uh, sorry, actually, before that, um, he, they call they they say Hosanna! Blessed be the name of the Most High God, and they fall down at, his feet, at the feet of Jesus and worship him. Hosanna! uh some translations one of the translations is basically god god save us or uh yeah god save us hosanna and then christ says uh he says where's nephi nephi come forth and i want you to put yourself in the in the in the sandals or whatever nephi was wearing put it, put yourself in his shoes for a minute Okay, they've all gone up one by one, and now, singularly and individually, he says, Nephi, come up. And Nephi arose and went forth and bowed himself before the Lord and did kiss his feet. Think about that. Think about the confidence that Nephi must have had to walk unashamedly to the Savior of the world, his Savior, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. To walk to him in full confidence and bow down and and worship him. That's a man who had paid the price for priesthood power. That's a man who was cleansed every whit from iniquity. And that does not happen overnight. That happens by repentance every day, every day, every day. Joseph Fielding McConkie and Robert L. Millet, in the book Doctrinal Commentary on the Book of Mormon said, President Ezra Taft Benson, so it's really a quote from President Benson, said, most repentance does not involve sensational or dramatic changes, but rather is a step-by-step s- steady and consistent movement toward godliness. Becoming Christ-like is a lifetime pursuit and very often involves growth and change that is slow, almost imperceptible. But over a lifetime, Nephi became a man who could walk unashamedly and full of confidence towards the Lord Jesus Christ. And we too can become like that. We too can do that every day. We too can look towards Him and walk towards Him every day, every day, every day. Next, I wanted to touch on verse uh, 30. And really verses 28 through 40 where Christ says, For verily, verily, I say unto you, He that the spirit of contention is not of me, but is of the devil, who is the father of contention. Uh, And he stirreth up the hearts of men to contend with anger one with another. Behold, this is not my doctrine. And so from verses 28, and it actually says uh, in verse 28, the points of my doctrine is a phrase that he uses. And so from verses 28 to 40, he talks about and he uses the phrase my doctrine a couple of few times. And it uh, really echoes uh, and runs parallel to Second Nephi chapter thirty-one and Third Nephi chapter twenty-seven. In chapter twenty-seven, he uses a phrase, uh, "This is my gospel," uh, two, two times, and kind of brackets what his gospel is. And in chapter eleven, here from verses twenty-eight to forty, he does the same type of thing, where he's going to he's going to teach us the gospel. What is his doctrine? Uh, Second Nephi thirty-one is Nephi testifying of the doctrine of Christ, the gospels, faith, repentance, baptism, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, enduring to the end. Christ here is going to teach us that. But in verse 30, he says, Behold, this is not my doctrine, to stir up the hearts of men with, ang- with anger one against another. But this is this is my doctrine, that such things should be done away. And I've focused this year, as we've talked about the wars, how many times it talks about the stirring up of anger, and how that that phrase is always... Almost always right in the middle of a war or directly preceding war. And it's what causes the war. Look around our world. Who do you see stirring up anger? And no matter what you're... Everyone, every political affiliation, this side and that side, over here and over there, stirring up to anger. One with one against another, right? It's And it, what does it do? Go back to what... Uh, I think it was Zarahemna in the early 40s, uh, you know, chapter 43 of um, Alma, where he stirs up the Lamanites to anger because he wants to control the Lamanites. He stirs them up to anger to go to war against the Nephites because he wants to control the Lamanites. Stirring up them up to anger keeps them in his control. When you are following someone, a podcaster like this guy, any other podcast you listen to, the, the news you watch, the social media influencers. When you are following them, you have to ask, as Elder, as President Oaks has encouraged us, where will this lead? Where will following this person lead? And what do they get out of it? Are they practicing priestcraft because they're getting something out of, of controlling you? What do they get out of it? And what they... Are they getting... Are they compensated for the things that they're saying? Now... Maybe they're saying things that are good. But you still have to ask that question and and find that out. In our world, Satan wants to stir us up to anger. Social media is is a cauldron where a lot of stirring to anger happens. I know it. I've been there. I've been angry about it. I've been stirred to anger. It's something that I, I I battle with all the time. It's something I I'm a marketer by trade. It's what I do, and so social media is a is a part of my job, even that I go to every day and provide for my family. And it's something that I have to battle and str- and combat all the time. But Christ is very 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 explicit and clear here that that is not from Him, and His anger and being stirred up to anger is not of Him instead he says that his doctrine is as he goes through verses 32 through uh, 36 he, he talked and well actually really like I said through forty faith repentance being baptized uh, having the spirit be with us and guide us he uh, interestingly starts to talk to us about the oneness and unity of him and his father and the Holy ghost. And I thought it came to me, um, this time studying it is this, and, and honestly, might this might be from C S Lewis. I just, I, at this point, his thoughts and my thoughts run together because he, I love it. So I love his thoughts so much. Uh, but a lock and a key are one mechanism and yet they're distinct and different. And this is how I, how I think, the unity of the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost is meant to be seen. We know that God, our Father, His Son Jesus Christ, and the Holy Ghost are three separate beings. But how are they unified? Well, like a lock and a key are unified to com- to complete one purpose. They are unified in the same way, though being distinct and separate, they are still one in purpose, and in in objective and in. And goal. Uh, man. I have a lot more notes, but I want to wrap up by pointing something out in verses 37 and 38. It says, and again I say unto you, it's going to sound like I'm reading the same verse, but I'm going to read 37 and 38. And again I say unto you, ye must repent and become as a little ch- a little child, and be baptized in my name, or ye can in no wise receive these things. And again I say unto you, ye must repent and be baptized in my name and become as a little child, or you can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God. So, inherit these things. Okay, well, what is he talking about? Read the previous verses. And then he changes that to inherit the kingdom of God. So, there's a slight change. The other slight change is this. Again, I say unto you, ye must repent. That's number one. And in verse 37, verse 38, the first thing is repent. So, those match up. In verse 37, the second thing is become as a little child. In verse 38, the second thing is, and be baptized in my name. In verse 37, the third thing is, and be baptized in my name. And in verse 38, uh, the third thing is, and become as a little child. So the second and third thing are swapped. Becoming as a little child and being baptized. This may have some other meaning. Meaning I've pulled out of this is, no matter where you are on your on the covenant path, whether you've been baptized or not been baptized, the process is still the same, and you still need to repent repent and become a little child. It's a continual progress and process. Just as the quote that I read from President Benson said, that repentance isn't usually dr- sensational or dramatic, but it's uh, slow and almost imperceptible, gradual, every day, every day, little by little. So if we repent, and we, we have to repent and become as a little child, and then be baptized, but if we've been baptized, we repent and baptized, then the goal is still to become like a little child. And why is that? Because, as King Benjamin said, the natural man is an enemy to, the, to God, and has been from the fall of Adam, and will be forever and ever, unless he yields to the enticings of the Holy Spirit, and putteth off, put off the natural man, and becometh a saint through the atonement of Christ the Lord, and becometh as a child, submissive, meek, humble, patient, full of love, willing to submit to all things which the Lord seeth fit to inflict upon him. Even as a child doth submit to his Father, we become childlike and that is why, because it helps us put off the natural man, submit to the Father's will, and become a saint, become purified. Uh, it, this um, is really the, I mean, like I said, I'm going through my notes real quick. There's a lot more. There's so many points. Like, there, he. it's Christ speaking. Everything he says is so chock full of just, like, cross references that I've made and things, and uh, but I think, you know, I'm going to call it, I'm going to call this an episode um, and hope that you are able to find what you need in your life this week as you've f- turned to and focus on the savior as the light of the world, a light that is endless and shall never be put out. Uh, my testimony to you in closing is that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. He is the light of the world. He did show himself to the people in the land bountiful. He did appear to the boy Joseph Smith and he is at the head of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, his church. Thank you for listening. I appreciate uh, all that you do and your participation and comments. Come follow me, Disciples Journey, on Instagram, Facebook, jeldonwebster at gmail.com. Shoot me an email. I'd love to have some chats with you. Uh, I love hearing from listeners um, and uh, thanks again to my wife. Shout out. She took my kids. Uh, She's got this thing where she doesn't like to hear them screaming in the background. Eh, Whatever. It's life. Love you, Tej. Uh, But she took them to the temple grounds today and walk around while I recorded. So this is awesome. Thank you. Uh, And thank you all. Good luck in studying this week. And I hope that you find the light that you need in your life. uh, And that you can share that and shine it for other people to see. We'll talk next week.